On a summer's day in the month of May, a burly bum come a hiking. He was walking down there through the sugar candy, were looking for his liking. And as he strolled along, he sang a song of the land of Middle Canada. Hey there, this is the Sounds of the Trail podcast, a place where we talk about the ups, downs, and switchbacks of trail life. It's time for a hike. Where a bum can stay for many a day, and he won't need any money. So let me set the scene for you. We've hiked 750 miles of mostly desert. We think we know what we're doing. We're pretty sure of ourselves and our ability to hike, and we know how to deal with water and dry stretches and the heat of the day, but we're about to enter the Sierras, and this is a whole new ball game. Everyone has been talking for about a week now about the snow conditions and what Forester Pass is like, what Mount Whitney is like, and... We've been sitting around for a few days trying to figure out what we're going to do. Um, a lot of people are skipping up at this point, going to Tahoe or further north to avoid the snow. Um, some people have gone up, but we haven't heard any word from them. Uh, they haven't turned back around, so they're not back, but we don't know if they've made it through. Uh, after a good amount of deliberation, we decide that there is really only one choice, and that's to keep going. So we gear up, we buy some micro spikes, and we get some rain pants and head up into it. We hitch a ride from Horseshoe Meadows Road and we get up to the top of the trailhead and there's not only no one there but it's snowing. And we open up the back of the truck and find that the cooler has dumped over onto my pack and everything that I own is wet. So we're in a bit of a sticky situation. We decide to lay out all my gear and our ride drives away and it's getting close to dark and so we decide to pack up and head out, and we walk out into the storm. Forester Pass is still a few days away, so we have some time to think about what will end up being the most difficult traverse of the whole trail. Um, And we decide kind of just to hike and not think about it for a few days, and we do just that. We wake up the snow for a few mornings, but the days are beautiful, and the snow melts within a few hours in the morning. And we quickly realize that we've picked pretty much the greatest time of the year to be entering the Sierras. A lot of people say that the time right after a storm is the most beautiful time you can have in the mountains, and now we can wholeheartedly agree. It had been snowing for about eight days, and we got up, and not only was it about 80 degrees and sunny, but there were no clouds in the sky. Um, There was no snow forecasted for any time soon, and there was still fresh snow everywhere. So everything was white-capped, the rivers were gushing, and it was exciting. We were nervous, but we were excited. Um, so we kept, we kept pushing. We got up about half a mile from Forester Pass, and we could finally see it, the little notch on the wall covered in snow. And we see three people turning around heading back towards us. And they tell us that they've decided to forego Forester Pass, cut out the side, and head back into town to reevaluate because they didn't feel comfortable. So, at this point, we're a little more nervous. We, uh, we don't really know what to expect. The signs aren't too good at this point. But we walk up, and we see that there are two guys up on the pass already. 
and they're just about to the top, and they see us at the bottom, and one of them peeks over the edge and yells back that, it's fine! So, we decided, well, it's fine for them, it's fine for us, and we went up. It was pretty gnarly. I don't really remember quite well the very top. It's almost like my adrenaline took over, and I didn't really think about what we were doing until we were already over. Um, one of those moments where you kind of think to yourself, wow, that was a little sketchy, but I've made it, so at this point it's okay. Um, the whole north side of the Forester Pass was blanketed with snow. There was very, you couldn't see any trees from top, and there was very few rocks exposed. It was mostly just blanketed in white, and there were clouds coming up. So we descended down, and we got out of the snow after a few hours of post-holing and sliding and all that kind of fun stuff, and we looked back up at what we had just done, and it was one of the most rewarding feelings that I had felt the entirety of the trail. A lot of the desert is pretty mundane, not boring, but it's a lot of the same things over and over and over. So to finally have a moment where we felt not only nervous, but probably scared and for good reason, but to continue pushing through that and to make it out the other side was one of the most rewarding feelings I've had so far on the trail. And I think that that's a lot of, or a major reason for a lot of the people out here to even start the trail in general is to, to get that feeling of being totally terrified of something, but still continuing on and facing it and conquering it. Welcome back to Sounds of the Trail. This is episode number nine, and I'm your host, Gizmo. Before we get started, I'd like to address some podcast business. Normally, I like to wait until the end of the episode, but we have a lot of business today, so we're just going to take care of it right up front. First, who, you are asking, is the dude who is just talking? Will we hear more from him? What is his story? Well, his name is Par3, and I'm pleased to announce that we have a new contributor to Sounds of the Trail. Par3 is on the Pacific Crest Trail and will be a regular contributor. We'll get the rest of his story after the main portion of the podcast. But wasn't it great to hear him talk about the Sierra Nevadas? The Sierra Nevada Mountains were one of the highlights of the Pacific Crest Trail through hike for me. And I think for most people, they're a really spectacular range of mountains. Just everything that somebody thinks about when you think about mountains snow-capped, white, huge, crystal-clear lakes, raging rivers. The Sierra Nevadas have it all, except for perhaps blueberries. There are no blueberries. However, they do have a lot of mountain passes. And as you're going through the Sierra Nevada mountains, you are hiking through these valleys, and you come up and up and up until you can no longer proceed, and your way is barred by a mountain range. And Dirtnap and I used to play a game called Pick the Pass, and we'd look at the mountain range blocking our way, and we'd try to select which little notch in the mountains was the way that the trail would lead us over. I was right every single time, just for the record. Anyhow, Forester Pass is the first of the major passes you encounter on the Pacific Crest Trail if you're heading from south to the north. And it's also the highest. 
Not only is it the highest point in the Sierra Nevada mountains, it is the highest point on the entire Pacific Crest Trail at 13,153 feet of elevation above sea level. You can definitely feel how thin the air is when you're hiking up there. And Forester Pass, when you're coming at it from the south, is this crazy row of switchbacks that go straight up this mountain face and then through this little chute that is often covered with snow, which looks like you could easily go shooting down it to your death. And then it comes up and over and you have an entirely brand new view sprawled out in front of you. It is amazing. And uh, it was great to hear part three talking about it. Anyhow, we'll hear more from part three later, but our next order of business is Sina's foot. What's the news? I am sorry to report that the news has not improved. Last we heard from Sina, she was off the trail planning to see a doctor about a possible tendon foot injury. Uh, She went and saw a doctor and she got a cortisone shot and a diagnosis of tendonitis, but has not so far seen any progress with her foot. It's still extremely swollen and extremely painful to walk on. So she's going to hold out for another couple days, um, possibly see the doctor again, and then evaluate what her options are at that point. Injuries and dealing with them is a big part of long-distance hiking for many people, and it looks like Sina is one of them which leads me directly to my next announcement. Kimchi is having problems with her foot. By problems, I should be more specific. Kimchi has broken her foot. She tripped and caught it on a rock and hurt something. She made it into town, finally got in to see a doctor, and the x-rays gave the bad news. So Kimchi is in Pennsylvania with her family getting some medical care and wearing a big black Velcro moon boot for the next three weeks which will also affect her through hiking plans. So she's working out how that's going to affect things and working on resting up and getting better and taking it from there. Like I said, injuries can be a significant part of through hiking for people. We are going to talk a lot more about injuries and how people commonly deal with them and what the common injuries are and what it means for your through hike in the next episode, but not today. So if this is something you're interested in hearing about, make sure to tune in next week. In the meantime, just keep your fingers crossed for signing kimchi that they will have quick and easy recoveries. In other news, Sounds of the Trail is now available through Stitcher. So if you use a smartphone that's not an Apple device, the Stitcher smartphone app is a pretty easy way to listen to podcasts without using so much data. It's an aggregator, download manager for podcasts, so if that's, if that's something you're interested in, you should go ahead and check it out. There are links on our website to the Stitcher website and to download the app. Another point of business, if you guys remember TikTok from episode 6, I just found out that she has a blog. It's called www.icouldriveforever.com, and we have links on our website for that as well. And you should definitely check it out. I went to go look at it after Kimchi told me about it. And next thing you know, I was five blog episodes. I guess blogs don't have episodes. Entries? I was five blog entries deep, totally engrossed. Uh, You should check it out. It's a great read. Our last bit of business before we get started. I want to thank everyone who is supporting us with messages of encouragement and good reviews. I know I've thanked you before, but... You know, I really can't say how awesome it is to hear from everybody and how much we appreciate it and how much it 
helps to keep us stoked and excited about doing this podcast and keep putting in the work to take this forward. So now that we finished our podcast business, we can get started on the podcast itself. And instead of telling you what it is about, let me set it up for you. About 1,200 miles into the Pacific Crest Trail, my partner Dirtnap and I went to Reno to spend a couple days resting and hanging out and taking some trail zeros for a little while. My friend Jewel picked us up from Donner Pass, took us home, let us sit on our couches, and we sat on our butts for a couple days, moving as absolutely little as possible. But once we had recuperated enough to move, she took us to the grocery store so we could buy food to mail ahead for about 700 miles of resupply. We had several stops coming up where it was much easier to mail food ahead than to buy it, and so we were just planning ahead and getting our chores taken care of while we were in a, a town with a well-stocked grocery store. So she takes us to the grocery store and just sort of follows us around as we start filling our cart with chocolate-covered macaroons, beef jerky, gummy bears by the pound, cliff bars, lara bars, granola bars, chocolate bars, tuna in a bag, Chicken in a bag, tortillas, brownie mix, powdered milk, cheese product, potato chips, crackers, flavor drink mix, mac and cheese, pasta size, rice size, ramen, peanut butter, Nutella, and you get the idea. She finally interrupted our conversation about whether we needed five bags of beef jerky or six to ask, So, are you guys going to buy, you know, any real food? We looked down at our cart full of processed food, up to the top, back up at her, and said, Nope. Food. Eating it, getting it, thinking about it. Food is a huge part of long-distance hiking. Through hiking is a good way to strip your life down to the essentials, and food is one of the last things left. There are lots of ways to handle food for a long hike, and people do it all kinds of different ways. You can buy it as you go, or you can buy it ahead of time and mail it ahead. You can spend six months before your hike dehydrating specially prepared meals, or you can just live off of mac and cheese, pasta size, and tortillas. You can drop the cash and eat the freeze-dried mountain house meals twice a day, every day. You can carry a stove, or you can leave it at home and eat everything cold. The real key is to figure out what works for you, because without fuel for the fire, you're never going to make it. We're going to start by hearing from Par 3 about what he's eating these days. Then we get to listen in with Sina and Dance Magic talking about trail planning and what they can't stand eating anymore. Then we'll get to hear Kimchi talk with Dr. Greenthumb about a different take on trail food. Let's hear from Par 3. So, when it comes to food, I'm pretty simple. I'm pretty straight down the middle and a lot like most of the other people on the trail. I have my staple ramen, rice side, pasta side dinners. I have my granola bars, protein bars, um, I do carry a stove, so, and I use it frequently, I brew a lot of tea in the mornings and in the evenings, um, and a hot meal to me is one of the best parts of the day, so, a lot of people do without it, but I couldn't, um, a few specialty things that I almost always pack out, uh, Cheese. I love cheese. You gotta have cheese. And it stays surprisingly well, even in the desert. If, as long as you keep it in the middle of your pack, it stays pretty well. And if you have a skillet, you can get really creative with it. You can make grilled cheeses and all kinds of stuff. Um, it's also a really good way to get fats, which f for me are the hardest, some of the hardest things to get. You kind of have potato chips, olive oil, and that kind of stuff. Cheese, 
and there's not many other options. Um, protein's tough too, but you your body craves it, so it's pretty easy to listen to that when your muscles are feeling dead at the end of every day. You know that you need to get some more protein in you. But for protein, I've done jerky, I've done powder, which isn't the most delicious thing in the world, but it gets the job done. Uh, the chicken pouches and tuna pouches are pretty much a staple there in every single resupply and uh they go great with almost any pasta side or ramen or any of that um but yeah i mean food is the what our day kind of revolves around snack breaks meal breaks and you get excited for food like you have never in your entire life and it's one of those things where food tastes extra good with hunger sauce on it and it's hard to go back to eating food when you're not starved out of your mind and all you can think about is your how excited you are for the boring granola bar that you're going to eat in 15 minutes when you stop for a break but it gets us excited beyond words and that's one of the beauties the small ecstasies of the trail is food so to us it's a, a very important part of our lives so par three's approach to food was pretty similar to my own I really appreciated having a hot meal at the end of every day. It was a small luxury in a life that didn't have many luxuries left. When we got into a long spell of cold, wet weather at the end, being able to stop and have a hot drink was a huge morale boost. Also, my partner, Dirtnab, bought a fishing license while we were in California, and while we were in the Sierras, we had some truly lovely, fresh-caught mountain trout with wild onions, which you can't do without a stove. And that was some of the best nights of the entire trail. But that said, a smaller percentage of hikers do choose to forego the cook stove altogether for convenience and to reduce their pack weight, living instead on granola and bars, or just rehydrating their food in cold water. Sina is actually one of those hikers, and in this next interview she talks with Dance Magic, who does carry a stove, but is not using it at the moment. So let's tune in and see what they have to say. Hi guys, it's Sina from Sounds of the Trail. I have my new friend Irene, aka Dance Magic, right? I kept forgetting it. I was like, magic dancer? Like, tiny dancer? And she's like, no, it's Dance Magic. Anyway, tell me how you got your name. Well, it's from the movie Labyrinth, and I had the song where he's singing to the baby stuck in my head for three weeks. Three weeks? For three weeks. Oh, wow. <laughs> and so... Were people hiking with you the whole time? No. Okay. But, like, uh, there's this group of people that I did... I was leapfrogging with for a little while. And then, like, I would just be like, dance, magic, dance, magic, dance. <laughs> but that's all I would say. <laughs> and, yeah. So that's how I got my name. <laughs> that's awesome. Um, and so, okay, this is one, we've been actually chatting for a little bit. I wanted to find out, you said that you had never hiked before this, right? Oh, not extensively, not like this, no. I think the most I've ever hiked really was about seven miles round trip when I, uh, lived on Mount Rainier for a little bit. Wow. What kind of, um, prep work did you do for the PCT? Did you do anything? I know we talked about your gear. You got a lot of it off Craigslist, which is awesome, by the way. You spent probably like a tenth of what I paid for my gear, if not less. I did no preparation. None at all? Nope. Okay, so tell me what led up to you saying, from the moment you decided to do the PCT and went on the PCT, was it like the day before? 
And you're like, I'm just going to do the PCT and you apply for the permit or... Oh, no, no, no. I actually, I had wanted to do the PCT for a while. Okay. I just like the wilderness, so... Yeah. I lived on a mountain with no running water and electricity for six years. That's amazing. And I kind of just wanted to get back to that. Yeah. How did you hear about the PCT? A friend of mine did the AT. (laughs) Oh, okay. And they were planning on doing the PCT and that's how you heard about it? Yeah. So, okay, so that was... A couple years ago. But what made you want to do it this year? Well, it's complicated. (laughs) Um, Just like uh, conglomerations of things happened. I lost... I didn't lose my job in Portland, but I had a hard time finding a place to live. Mm -hmm. So I had to quit my job, which I really loved, actually. What were you doing? I was doing... I was a lab assistant for the surgical pathology department. Wow, that sounds actually... Interesting. I'm not being serious. (laughs) Yeah, no, yeah, it's, it was really interesting. It was really, day-to-day life was interesting. So that was really hard. And then, it's so cliche, but there was a guy I liked. (laughs) (laughs) I knew there was something there. Okay. And he just didn't like me the same way. I was really heartbroken about that uh, because it seemed that it was going in that direction. You know, it just didn't. Work for him, I guess. I didn't come in the package. Was this in Portland or yeah. was this okay? Yeah. No names, so <laughs> no need. Uh, <laughs> okay, so that happened. You told me you're from Washington, though, right? Yes. Did, were you? Did you go back to Washington? For I did go okay. back to Washington. I moved in with my sister, okay. and then well, I moved in with my sister for a little bit, and then I went to Poland for a month. <laughs> Just uh, this is like in the last six months. You yeah. lived, wow. I tried to get a job in Poland. It was really hard. Yeah. And then I was like, I, um, after coming out of just all of that crap, I just, I didn't have the patience and I was just really frustrated and I wanted to do something that would, I don't know, work out all of my frustrations and work out all the tension and get back to feeling like I have faith in humanity. Yeah. Well, you're here, like, almost 600. Today, we should probably hit 600. Finals. Yeah. So, and you haven't quit. So, that's amazing. <laughs> you're a trooper for having gone through all of that. Okay, so that all happened, but then, I don't know, how long from the moment of getting all the gear? Like, the moment you're actually like, I'm actually doing this. I got a temporary long? job in January. Okay. And that's when I started. Oh, that's up. not that bad. And you started when? May 1st. May 1st. Okay. So you had like several months of prep. Yeah. Of just getting all my gear and... Okay. But you mean it's like there's some people I met, they're like, yeah, like three weeks before I just started getting all the stuff. And I was like, what? (laughs) Like they just decided. It was like on a whim. Like I'm just going to do this. It kind of was on a whim, but I kind of knew that I needed some stuff just because, you know, I was, as I said before, I I was a wilderness instructor. Yeah. And And you're in the military too, right? In the Air Force? Yeah. Eight years? Yep. Wow. (laughs) That's incredible. You've done everything. What's your resupply strategy? I'm curious. I have a mixed one. Like, uh, my sister's sending some boxes. Okay. Like you already prepped them before you left? Yeah. Do you think you're going to like the food now that you've been eating probably the same food for... (laughs) Okay. <laughs> Let me tell you, <laughs> I absolutely despise oatmeal right now. Me too. Oh my God. Yes. That's my worst. And That's the worst. I cannot even look at it. <laughs> I'm like, 
I know it's really good for me, and I know that it has proper nutrition in it because I made my own oatmeal. Oh, you did? Okay. So it has hemp seeds and chia seeds. Okay, and yeah, and that's super healthy. Brown sugar and stuff. Sounds disgusting. <laughs> I absolutely despise Pop Tarts right now. Yeah. I. It's like you're reading my diet list right now. <laughs> I. And so, and what sucks is that almost all of my food boxes have, like, oatmeal <laughs> and Pop-Tarts. Actually, I had my sister pull out the Pop-Tarts and replace it with ramen. I wasn't going to eat ramen, but I've totally been eating ramen. I know, so you might be even sick of that by the time you get it. Anything else that you're just so sick of now? Oh, just dry stuff. Yeah. Just. Are you going stoveless? Right now I am. Me too. I okay. mean, I had a, I have a stove. It's just that my canister, actually my canister lasted a really long time. Um, it lasted till from the 1st to the 26th. That's really good. But then I just never picked up another one. Oh, okay. So you have one. You're just going yeah. stoveless for now out of choice. Well, I find that it's better in the desert. I don't yeah. really like... Uh... Hot food in the hot, hot heat. Ugh. <laughs> yeah, we were just talking about the hot heat. It's really hot today. It's only like 9 o'clock in the morning. It's just going to get better from here. But uh, in regards to resupply, what would you tell someone? Because if you were to change your resupply strategy now that you're on the trail and you have the opportunity to do so, would you still do the oh, same or would you change it up? I would totally change it. I would totally... One, I would make it less meals and more snacks. I would do... Yes. Like... 75% of my stuff snacks. Not well said. No, that's perfectly said. I was just thinking about that today. I've just been, because I've been replacing some of my breakfast because they're Pop-Tarts with uh -huh. snacks. So now I'm looking at it. I don't have enough snacks because all my Pop-Tarts and ramen are just staying at the bottom like, and not being eaten. Some good snacks are like, I really like the Keebler cracker sandwiches. Yeah. Um, the kind bars that you just kind, had. I love those too. Oh, kind bars. Yeah. But would you have variety? I mean, yeah. Or, yeah. Yeah. Just like for... A variety like each box would be completely different from the next box like it would just be like some would be uh, like a savory box and then a sweet box or like a mix or... yeah that's yeah. a great note and that that's actually something that I myself could say for myself as well because some of the resupply boxes I end up giving away half the stuff because there's no way that I'm gonna eat it but there we have it we gotta get back on trail thank you so much James Magic Okay, Irene. That's what it is, right? Dance magic. Yes. I said okay. <laughs> <You're right. laughs> All right, there we have it. Have a great day, people. Oh man, the oatmeal. I absolutely detest oatmeal. I loathe it. I loathed oatmeal before I ever took a step on a long trail. Dirt Nap tried to talk me into it, and I let him bring it with us on our very first section of trail. Stuff we'd made ourselves, you know, with dried fruit and chia seeds, powdered milk and sugar. I'm sorry. I hate oatmeal. I ate it twice and then figured I'd rather be hungry. I made dirt now carry the rest of it out and then we never packed it again. The funny thing is, even though you are so hungry, I mean really, truly hungry, food can become such a chore. Some people really love that part of thru-hiking. I mean, we just heard from Par 3 and he seems like he really appreciates it. I mean, it's probably the only time in your life you'll be able to put away 5,000 calories a day and still lose weight. The only time in your life you'll look at the calorie count on the back of a food package and then put it back on the shelf because there aren't enough calories in it. The only time you'll have a real need for five square meals a day. But for myself, I found it to be a burden. 
I actually struggled to keep enough weight on at a couple different times in my hike. Um, during the Sierras, I dropped below the weight I was when I graduated from high school, at which point in time in my life I had still not finished going through puberty. So I was getting a little bit concerned at that point. And, you know, there was a couple other points I got sick and started to feel very, very thin. And if keeping on top of my nutrition was such a challenge for me, and I'm somebody with absolutely no health or food restrictions whatsoever, aside from the oatmeal, what about people who do struggle with that stuff? For our last interview, we get to hear from Dr. Greenthumb on the Appalachian Trail. Dr. Greenthumb has some significant challenges with food, but he's found a way to work around them, so let's hear from him. This is Kim Chi with Sounds of the Trail. I'm currently in Parisburg, Virginia. What a great place. It's really interesting here. Um, it's one of the smaller towns in Virginia that you get to stop in. I'm a little bit laid up and uh, my foot's messed up. There's always something on the trail. Luckily, I met Dr. Greenthumb. And he's sitting here waiting for some stuff on his own to get ready to get back on the trail. Figured I'd stop and talk to him for a second. Uh, so, first of all, Dr. Greenthumb, you can introduce yourself, where you're from, and how old you are. And uh, we'll go from there. I'm Dr. Greenthumb. I'm from Dayton, Ohio, and I'm 42 years old. All right. We just had a conversation about some of the stuff that you do in Ohio. Do you want to talk about that at all? Sure. I'm an organic produce farmer. And just general that's about it that's a, that's a tall order it's not about it that's like a huge job uh so produce farmer man what led you out to the trail a break from society um you know a long series of illness and you know trying to discover myself and what i can do and uh putting myself to a little bit of a test and that's Seeing what I can do with myself, a little change in life. So, we kind of got into this conversation initially because uh, you told me about some of the physical illnesses that you had, which led us to a dietary conversation. So I'd like to talk, if you're comfortable with that, I'd like to talk about that. And also about dietary stuff. That's the biggest, one of the biggest things on the trail, and it's something that people always ask about in general. Like, what do you eat? And how are you eating it? And how are you getting it? Blah, 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 blah. Um... What you're doing is pretty awesome, and I haven't really heard too many people doing your methods, so I guess we should start there. Like, uh, if you feel like talking about how you got into the dietary stuff in the first place, I guess you can lead into, like, how you're making it and what you're doing. Well, the the dietary thing, it came about because I had digestive cancer, and I had to figure out a way to do the hike and be able to eat and maintain my calorie consumption. So it was a lot of trial and error. And what I'm doing is making seed bars and using that and as a whole food calories instead of consuming a bunch of junk food. So I'm no stove, um, you know, and I, it, lots of uh, just whole food calories and powdered peanut butter with coconut oil and honey um, allows me to cut down on the calorie consumption um, to about 2,000 calories and I just have it mailed out to me a month at a time and take out what I need and bounce it ahead of me as I need it. So <clears throat> the, most hikers eat a lot of kind of 
shit food. Uh, a lot of us eat like honey buns, like just stuff that's like super high calorie, super high fat, just really bad, probably cancer causing <laughs> stuff. You're, uh, do you think that like, I mean, how, like how exactly did you start planning your method? Uh, did you, what kind of research did you do? Obviously you're a farmer and you know about nutrition, but what kind of prepared you to figure out the perfect sort of mixture, I guess, that you got going on? Just figuring out what was going to be necessary for, you know, my vitamin intake and necessary oils and things of that nature and making it more digestible by grinding it. A lot of trial and error. It was basically, it was just a lot of trial and error and finding the healthiest seeds and things like that that I could find uh, that had the most most nutrition per gram basically you know that's basically what it was and then just combining them and I found that with on top of doing that grinding them all together before I bake them I put coconut oil and molasses and honey and maple syrup in them as well and then grinding them helps my body break them down so it's easier to digest which means less wear on the body I get to absorb more of the calories and I have to consume less water to process them it's uh, it's worked out really well for me it, it's uh, it's tiresome eating the exact same thing every day and eating cold food every day but you know it's the sacrifices that we make to be out here you know it's and it's lovely to be out here and it's worth it's worth it so uh, I think you you said something that really like struck me earlier in our conversation you said you were force feeding yourself hikers hikers are known to just like binge on food in general like that's the thing we look forward to I think the most um and I've actually interviewed people previously and they've told me that their favorite thing about through hiking is that they can just eat and eat and eat and eat and eat so for you it's a little bit of the opposite what was it like before you found, you know, you had cancer? Like, were you a big eater or like, how has it changed your, I guess, eating patterns and I guess how you associate food with yourself? I was basically just a normal eater. And now it's, it's, uh, it's, we live in a culture where we live to eat and now I just eat to live. I, and I, I don't have the urge of being hungry. I know that I have to eat when I start to feel tired or get a headache or something of that nature so it is a lot I it's a lot different from a lot of the hikers it's hard to explain to a lot of people what I'm doing so I spend a lot of time out here by myself you know which is good and bad you know I because I'm in search of myself out here you know and it's kind of hard to find yourself when you're surrounded by tons of people so how do you think I mean you said that you're trying to push yourself and I mean, all of us definitely are out here for our own reasons. I think most of us are out here kind of not necessarily in search of something because, and I really hate that, not who all who wander a lost bullshit quote, but right. <laughs> I think kind of like everyone's got their own like reasons for being out here. How do you think you kind of got to the decision to be out here? When I woke up after I was told that I was cancer-free, I really was it was like being hit with a sledgehammer and really lost my identity of myself and who I was because I was a cancer patient you know and I knew where I stood 
and I had this constant adversary and it was like losing my best friend and my worst enemy at the same time just coming back out here to find myself find Mike again and find out who I am as you know how it's changed me and who I want to be in the future you know so you know I'm hoping that I can get that out of this how do you feel it's going so far? I know everything changes every day out here, and I know, like, every week feels like five years. Uh, how do you think it's going for you so far? It's been going really, really well. Of course, everybody out here is sore and beat and battered in some way. Um, but, you know, the community of people that are out here and the willingness to help and the people in the towns that are willing to help you... Um, it's really taken a huge load off of me worrying and thinking about all the things that I was thinking about at home, about what am I going to do with myself now that I don't have cancer and I don't have this death sentence looming over my head and I'm just able to just be free out here and think about nothing but the next step ahead of me. And it's been really enjoyable, so it's been going really well. It's really impressive. I've never heard anybody articulate, uh, especially something like finding out they're cancer-free like that. I've heard people sort of talk about it. Do you feel like you're kind of seeing more opportunities in, in your future? Do you feel like you're like just living day by day? I mean, how has your mind shift changed? Well, it was day by day, and now it was being cancer-free now, it's like the opening of the box like where you know it's like now anything's possible and I don't really know where I'm going to go or what I'm going to do and it, it, I feel like the possibilities are limitless you know and I'm just going to take it wherever it takes me you know and uh, hopefully it takes me someplace good pretty sure you're going to wind up in only good places you seem like a really good guy do you I usually like to ask people like kind of what what the trail's given them um, that they weren't expecting, uh, good or bad, like, and uh, what their favorite things have been so far and maybe what their biggest problems have been so far, just in general for people out there who don't thru-hike so they can kind of get a grasp of, like, what it's like to be thru-hiking. Um, well, the not showering for days on end, you get used to that the rain being constantly wet because of sweat or rain um that's something that you get used to and the constant sore feet and even in the preparing for this and the training you know you think you're doing a lot of work but you get to go home and you have the amenities and comforts of a bed and a shower and all those things and here it's you grind your miles out and you sleep uncomfortably and you get up and you just do it all over again. And uh, The sooner you learn to embrace the bad, it's like embracing the suck. Um, you just, it gets better and better. And I think the, the best thing that I've gotten out of it is my restored faith in humanity of the, you know, the kind people that I've met and not just on the trail, off of the trail in the trail towns, the willingness of people to help you in so many different situations in so many different ways, you know, um, it's, it's not a part of 
feet and rain <laughs> I, I mean I I don't know anybody I don't I can't think of anything that's been more harsh for me you know but yeah, I feel you what about those little bugs lately yeah the little yeah tons and tons of bugs and <laughs> tons and tons of just sweat and dirt and just it's it's different it's very it's not for everyone but once you start, it, you know, you'll be very happy that you that you decided to do it and come out here. You, you just you have to you have to really stick it out for the first three weeks. I would say more than that. Yeah, we we, we had a debate at a camp the other night about what was the hardest part so far, and it's that's really to oranges, you know, really, because everything's different for everybody, but for me, being a flatlander, the first 90 miles in Georgia was just absolutely brutal. <laughs> Talk about the ups and downs. <laughs> Those ups and downs are brutal. Um, and on our last podcast, or the, yeah, I think it was the last podcast, it was all about the pointless ups and downs. Yeah. What, so do you have any, like, advice or anything you'd want to say, A, to people who are considering thru-hiking? Not only just the Appalachian Trail, but any trail. And B, uh, maybe just people who are out there in general. You know, you get to talk to anyone you want. So we got through hikers and non-through hikers. Listen to this. Do you have anything you want to say? Um, yeah, I mean, if, if you're going to do, if you're planning on doing a through hike, um, a lot of the information that you're going to get online and through books, it's a bunch of crap. Find out what works best for you. Don't just go buy gear because somebody said it's the best try your gear out always try your gear out always find the best pair of shoes for yourself and prepare to be flexible in every situation and plan on being cold tired wet and hungry you know and there there's a huge culture of people that don't understand why we're out here and why we want to push ourselves and why you would want to walk 2,000 miles and you know I say you know like to those people like you need to start living a little because you know life is too short and you're missing it in these mundane jobs that you have and you know in the end you're going to want time to do the things that you love and time to spend with the people that you love and once it's gone you can't steal it borrow it buy it beg for it you know so you know live it live it up while you can don't be afraid this is coming from someone who's already looked at death, so you guys better listen to him. That's If I said it, you're not going to listen to me. <laughs> but I'd say the same thing. Well, I super appreciate this uh, interview. It was a really good one. I feel lucky because I was definitely bummed out thinking about having to be stuck here with a f messed up foot in Parisburg. You definitely made me want to keep going, and I think that's like the big thing for me. Uh, meeting all the people that I meet out here pushes me every single day to right. keep going to keep getting wet, to keep getting bit, to keep breaking stuff, to keep getting mad at all of the stupid hills I walk up. Yes. Uh, much appreciated. Thanks a lot. Thank you very much. It's been really good. It's nice to meet you. Well, eat to live, not live to eat.
when you remember what an amazing thing it is just to live, maybe that's not so bad? We could keep talking about food, other than pooping in miles, it's a subject of endless fascination to hikers, but we'll wrap it up. Before we end this episode, let's get properly introduced to our new contributor, Par 3. I'm Par 3. I'm 23 years old. I'm originally from San Francisco, California. This is my second summer hiking on the PCT, but I did not do all of the trail last year for a variety of reasons. I'm sure you'll hear all these stories eventually, but I ended up starting after I graduated college on uh, May 23rd of last year at the Mexican border and quickly realized after a few hundred miles of hiking completely by myself that I was looking at hiking this entire trail alone and I looked at myself and was honest with myself and told myself that that was not what I wanted to do. So I decided that whatever happened, I was going to hike this trail for myself and my way. So I skipped a few hundred miles and hiked through the entirety of the Sierras before injuring my knee. And at that point, I became pretty obvious that I wasn't going to finish the trail that summer. But there's something about this trail that kept dragging me back and I couldn't quit. I couldn't leave. I had to, I was hiking and I'd told everyone I was hiking. So I decided to make the best of it and just hike for the rest of the summer. And that's what I did. I kept going, went, hiked the, uh, the length of Oregon and I hit the Oregon Washington border, um, beginning of September. And that day when I hit the bridge of the gods, I decided that I had to do the whole trail. And so I packed up my bag that morning, hiked into town, and decide, decided to go to Portland, fly home, and attempt the whole trail the following year, which is why I'm out here now. So I'm pretty, uh, I feel pretty fortunate to be here. I appreciate it a lot more a second time around, and I feel like I'm gaining, still gaining new perspectives and learning every single day and finding out things I was wrong about and all that kind of good stuff that you go through on a day-to-day basis on the trail. But I'm really excited to be working on the podcast with everyone. I was approached the other day uh, by my friend Kimchi, who I hiked with a huge section of what I did last year on the trail, and who is a very close friend of mine. And she asked if I wanted to be a part of Sounds of the Trail podcast, and how could I turn that down? I mean... You get to talk to other hikers, you have a reason to ask them those nitty-gritty questions that maybe don't get brought up on a a normal conversation basis on the trail, when we're usually talking about food and water and all that kind of stuff. I get to ask people the real deep questions, why they're out here, why they're doing what they're doing, their hopes, their fears, all that kind of stuff. And I think that that's one of the most intimate ways you get to know people out on the trail is when you get to open up and tell them, those truly meaningful answers of why you think you're doing what you're doing or even though it changes all the time you get to kind of open up and we get to learn about ourselves when we talk about that kind of stuff but anyways I'm sure you'll hear a lot about this kind of deeper philosophical stuff for me I'm kind of interested more in the that kind of the side of hiking why people do it and I love the lifestyle and I love the day-to-day activity, but to me, the the deeper there's a deeper thing going on that is kind of difficult to talk about, and it's extremely difficult to write about, I've found, but I think that through 
uh, voice and through uh, podcasts and stuff like that, it becomes a lot easier to to open up and uh, really get the emotions behind what people are saying. And I think that's really important. And I'm really happy to be a part of this and excited about what the future holds and getting to really explore how and what goes on behind a podcast and how it works. And I want to thank Gizmo because I know that it is not an easy job to correspond with people who are out in the woods and are notoriously bad at staying in contact with the rest of the world and for organizing all of the the recordings and picking through all the, the ranting that we do and the tangents that we're going to go off on. But she does she has a hard job and she's been doing an amazing job of it as all of you listeners have been able to be a part of for the last seven episodes or so. So with that, thank you and glad to be part of the team. Well, our new contributor knows what he's doing, throwing shout-outs to his editor right from the start. It is sort of a pain in the neck to have to communicate with people who are out of cell phone reception 95% of the time, but, you know, sometimes hikers have good things to say. Well, that's all we have for this week. Remember to send good thoughts to Sina and Kimchi, and I hope that they heal up quick, and tune in next week. Big Rock Candy Mountain, you never have to change your socks. And little streams of alcohol come a-trickling through the rocks. All the railroad bowls at the tip of their hats and the railroad bowls are all blind. There's a little lake of stew and a whiskey too. You can paddle on around it in your big canoe on the Big Rock Candy Mountain. On the Big Rock.